0: Well, good morning. And that's a wonder. Whoops. I'm a little loud there. That's a wonderful song. Amen. And I was just making me think of obviously some of what uh, Philippians says in uh, chapter two. Turn it down just a little bit. There we go. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven. And on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father. How much wiser that uh, we do that in heaven than have to do that when we're in hell. But every knee and every tongue will confess. So I trust this morning that every person here today knows the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Given some thought to the fact that we 're just into the the new year, and i don 't know if you 're one that when you hear that word new year 's resolution or you think of goals or you think of objectives or something you 'd like to see God do in your life this coming year if you 've given any thought to that, a lot of people give the idea to this idea of a new year 's resolution, and while I can understand it in principle. It's interesting, it's it sometimes comes off as something that somebody's going to be able to do really in their own strength, that I resolve to do this, and while it is good to have goals and objectives, we know as Christians today that what we resolve to do really has to be in conjunction with the Spirit of God, doesn't it? We can't do this. We can't live this life in our own strength. And if you've tried, and I have tried, on given days, sadly, sometimes given weeks, I'll tell you now, after being a Christian for some 20-plus years, it doesn't work. You've got to trust in God, as the song said, our opening hymn. By the way, which that is one of my top five that we sing here uh, when I come, and so I'm glad that we were singing that today. Anyway, I was thinking about a couple of passages of Scripture that I'd like to use as a catalyst for the new year as to give us some thoughts as to really how should we live our lives this coming year. Matthew chapter 6 was one passage that came to my mind, but 1 Corinthians 6 won out on this occasion. And I'd like us just to start reading from verse 12 on. The first part of chapter 6 deals with lawsuits among believers, and then I want to pick up, though, on this section here in verse 12 on. And I'm reading from the NIV translation. Paul says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything... Is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Father, we just pray now that you will... In the few moments that we have together, open up your word to us. Father, we pray that as we leave here today, that there may be something from the word of God, something that you, Lord, will have said, even through me, through your word, that will speak to each of our hearts and encourage us, I pray. ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of our favorite words in American culture is the word freedom, isn't it? We love that word, freedom. Our country treasures it. And this coming Thursday, as we, if you have an opportunity watch the inauguration, we know that that, in a sense, happened very much by obviously God at work, but also through the vote study of the citizens of the United States. Freedom to vote, as we did back in November. As a country for who our president would be. And he's being inaugurated this coming Thursday. We sing it at the national anthem, don't we? I know my father forgets part of the national anthem. It seems that one part all the way through it. But he remembers the last line. For the land of the free and the home of the brave. Most times we maybe don't hear that because everybody's applauding now by that point. But we bring out the emphasis of that word freedom. And there's no doubt, isn't it, that like a lot of things in life, we take it for granted. On the 30th of January, they'll be having elections in Iraq. Now this is something that maybe we're not all that tuned into. Maybe some of you watch this coverage and are watching this development, but this is an amazing thing for a, a nation to be able to vote, to know something about freedom, which they did not know for so long under a dictator. How do you define true freedom? You think about this year, 2005, you're free. But how do you define it? Someone has said, is it that we are able to do anything we want to do without limits, without restraint, without boundaries, without consideration for other people, and without consideration for the consequences of our actions on ourselves and others? It's a thought-provoking question, isn't it? As believers, the question, if you like, goes one step further. What does it mean as a Christian today, January 2005, to exercise our liberty? Or if you like, our freedom from slavery? Or if you like, our freedom in Christ, what does it mean? How do you practice it? I'd like you to look as we look back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and I just want to highlight what I really believe is a key part of this text and it goes to verse at the very back of chapter 6, the very last few verses where Paul writes in the last part of verse 19. You are not your own. We, we need to remember that And we need to hear that over and over again. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. If you don't really hear anything else today, I want you to remember that last part of verse 19 and verse 20. And we're going to develop the theme a little bit further. Let's start with verses 12 and 13, understanding your true freedom. I don't know where it came from. I probably should remember this, but remember that phrase to do or not to do. That is the question. Shakespeare, thank you. You know, it's interesting in the. And the New American Standard Translation or New King James Version Translation, King James. The way that Paul writes this is that all things are lawful for me. Start of verse 12. I like the NIV translation of how they've developed this theme in that they say, as Paul was making uh, stating something in a quotation, he says, everything is permissible for me. Now stop back and think, what does he mean by that? Everything is permissible for me. Or if you like in the other translations, all things are lawful. Everything is green light. It's interesting that in the NIV translation that they put this in quotation marks because the translators understood that that phrase was like one of the catchphrases or slogans that were popular in that day, like a lot of catchphrases are in our culture today. And the Corinthians were going around and they were saying that everything is permissible for me. But it's interesting that words and phrases can have different meanings. When Paul wrote this, he meant something very different from what the Corinthians meant when they had been saying it. And we'll develop that theme. It makes me think back of how sometimes phrases can mean one thing to one and mean something to another when we lived overseas in Ireland. We were at a restaurant in Malahide, just not far from our home in Port Marnock, and I had a chicken dish. And I couldn't eat it all, which is kind of unusual, but for some reason I couldn't eat it that day. And I asked for a doggy bag. It took a couple of minutes, and this lady came back, and, she, and I was wondering why it was taking so long. And she came back and she said, you know, I'm afraid that we accidentally dropped the chicken on the floor. She said, but I've got some steak instead to give you. And I said, "Okay, well, you know, chicken steak, that's a pretty good deal for the price. And so for some reason, for some reason, I was inclined just a couple minutes later to kind of open it up because it was in foil and to look inside. And I saw this nice piece of medium steak, but it was all chewed on. I raised my hand and she came back and I said, um. Just curious, what did you think I meant when I said doggy bag? And she said, I thought you were talking about your dog. And I said, Oh, no, no, no. That's the phrase that we use in America, and I'm sorry. It means to take home a meal that we can't finish. And so she kind of apologized, I think, not overly, went to the time to pay the bill, and there was a huge issue. And I just said, You know, I kind of had a half a chicken left. I kind of feel like I'm worth, you know, maybe a little discount here or there or something. And They didn't really want to give that um, for some reason or another, but if I remember right, I think I got about 20% off the meal, so I didn't take the steak home nor the chicken. But it was a phrase that had a different meaning. And maybe the Corinthian believers heard Paul use this phrase, that everything is permissible for me. But as I said, when the Corinthians used it, it meant something different. They understood it maybe to mean that it was a green light A green light for license. In other words, freedom from restraint. No boundaries, no borders, nor control on how they behave. And you know what? You say, well, how do you know that? Well, if you think back of the Corinthian church, you can understand where there were some problems there, weren't there? Matter of fact, you don't need to turn to it, but Paul wrote just in chapter 5, he said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. Hard stuff. Something was, something was astray, something was missing in their thinking in the Corinthian church as to what it meant to be free in Christ. I love what Martin Luther said. He said, love God and do as you please. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Remember that verse where Paul says, Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That that really simplifies it, doesn't it? Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever it is that you engage in, do it for the glory of God. And I like Martin Luther. Love God and do as you please. And here's what that means. Someone has said, if you really love God, listen carefully to this. If you really love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and want whatever God wants for your life. You can do anything you please because you please to do what God wants you to do and not what God doesn't want you to do. If you really love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and want whatever God wants for your life. That's your starting Two thousand and five. You can do anything you please because you please to do what God wants you to do and not what God doesn't want you to do. Everything is permissible for me. Understanding it in that context. That's what Paul was saying. He says, but not everything is beneficial. Some things may not be profitable. Take, for example, there might be certain situations where, you know. Now, while you can, in effect, go to this certain location, it's not beneficial for you to be there. And it'd be wiser to leave. I can remember situations where at work I've been involved and invited to a a squad party, something that uh, where it's uh, over the holidays or over the summer period to go to a location. And on a couple occasions I've gone. I've kind of checked it out. And I saw after about 30 minutes, really no reason to be here. You know, there's too much. Way too much alcohol all over the place. The, a lot of people are smashed at this point. It's kind of like, what's the, what's the point? Why well, subject myself to temptation in that situation? Better to leave. Some things may not be profitable. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. It's true, isn't it? And you know it's true, and I know it's true, that there are some things that can be enslaving. Paul says, I'm not going to be mastered by anything, even though technically there's nothing wrong with what it is, but I'm not going to be mastered by it. Nothing's wrong with food, but what if we're mastered by it? I don't know if you read the story. Maybe you chose to turn the page real quick and not look at it, but there was a story, I think, last month's paper. that said that as Americans, we're getting a little bit taller, which I can't quite figure that out, but it also said we're getting heavier, getting heavier. I can remember back in, when we lived in Ireland, and, and I went there in 1979 in a, for a summer. And the change from 79 to when we left in 98 with respect to the, the body, if you like, less walking, less exercise, more fast food. It all came into the culture from the 1979 to the 90s. God doesn't want us to even be mastered by something that's good in and of itself, food, which he's given us. You can maybe think of something else that can be enslaving. Paul says food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. Another thing that we should be careful of is that we should be careful that we don't offend others in our freedom. huh? Something that God has given you and you have a clear conscience about doing it, but it can if it hurts your brother. Paul says, you are my brothers, or sorry, you, my brothers, were called to be free. This is Galatians 5. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Someone has said if it hurts rather than helps, it isn't right. And so those are some of the boundaries that Paul gives in the area of understanding what your true freedom is. Think about it. Before you were a Christian, think of the bondage. Think of the slavery that you were under, the evil one. Think of the the grip he had on you. And then the day you trusted Christ, you became free. Free to love him. Free to serve him. Free to know him. Free to share him with others and free to honor him with your life. Somehow the Corinthians started to misunderstand this freedom. We need to be careful that we don't either. If you go down to verses 13, uh, the last part of 13, down to verse 17, Paul then starts to talk about the body. And, you know, when you think about New Year's resolutions, it seems like most people have it in this area of the physical, the body. I'm going to try and lose more. I'm going to try and do this. I'm going to try and exercise. I'm gonna, and it's about the body and about our, just our life on earth. And then, of course, there's the spiritual, the physical and the spiritual, the body and the soul. More, less people, I should say, put an emphasis on the soul and what they want to do spiritually in the power of God. Most people aren't really thinking about, what is it that in, that's going to be good for my soul this coming year, 2005? We give a lot of emphasis on the physical, the, the temporary. But Paul talks about that the body is important to God. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord... For the body. He goes on to say in verse 14 as I already read. By his power God raised the Lord from the dead. And he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is he who unites himself? Or sorry. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself, the Lord, is one with him in spirit. There's a lot more I could say on this, but time-wise, I'm not going to go in this direction because this isn't where the emphasis is of what I want to touch on. But it is true that we, like Adam, are a combination of dust and spirit. And just as our, our spirits, that inner sanctuary affect our bodies, so our physical bodies affect our spirit. I see this at work, for example, in the area of women who are involved in prostitution. When I look at some of the photographs of some of the women that are walking up and down the streets in Hayward, and I see these photographs that are brought in, these are women that are in their 20s, 30s, sometimes 40s, but look twice and three times the age. Because often what comes with prostitution in that whole area is drugs. And when you put the combination of that type of lifestyle, combine it with drugs, you can see the effect that it has just on the persons, not only on their physical body, but just on their where they're at spiritually what they're doing, the sin that they're involved in in their physical realm is having an adverse effect on them in their spiritual walk because it's keeping them from God. You think about it of somebody that you know who has abused alcohol, someone who's abused drugs, whether the illegal kind or the, even the prescription drugs. And you can see the effect that it has on the body. And Paul is saying that God is concerned about our physical body. He's given it to us. But we cannot, and I trust we remember this for this new year, we cannot commit sin with our bodies without damaging or affecting our souls. Because when we sin against God, if we don't know him, when we sin against him, this has a consequence on where we are spiritually with him. And The Bible says that if we're sinning against him, we have not been forgiven for our sin then ultimately we're in a situation where we're going to face judgment because of our sin. Therefore, you can appreciate why Paul writes, as we continue on and, and as we, I just read, that our bodies are not meant for immorality. They're not meant for sin. He specifies sexual sin. But in general, if you wanted to broaden it, our bodies aren't meant for ourselves to sin, but they're meant for the Lord. Now, when you take this, in, and by the way, this message, I guess, is kind of like a PG-13 here. But um, when you take this area of sexual immorality, probably it's safe to say that it is a temptation that is right there before us. You're driving down uh, this freeway. You might, just, you know, you're looking at the road, which we're supposed to do. But you might take a glance at a billboard and right there. You just there's an opportunity for temptation just by what's on that billboard. You go to the Internet. You've got legitimate reasons to be there, what you're doing. Boom. Somehow, some way you can get hit with temptation in this area. You turn on the television, right? You go to a movie, even a good movie. And the advertisements that they show, the trailers for the movie that they're wanting to promote. Is right there. Now, if you're a guy this today and trust, you know, if you are or not, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The sisters here aren't maybe quite as aware of it in the same sense, but they are. You are. But it's right there. And you know what? Isn't it the norm now in our culture? When you think about it, it is the norm in our culture now. For us to be uh, involved in an active way in this area of the physical prior to marriage. That's the norm. That's what our culture's told us now. God's Word hasn't told us that, but our, the, the culture has. God doesn't forbid sexual sin just to be difficult, just to be tough, but He does it because He knows its power to destroy us physically and spiritually when it's out of its context. And God in his love for us today, and you need to maybe share this with somebody who needs to hear this, that God wants to protect us from the carnage. He wants to protect us from that and fill us and all of the needs that we have as human beings with himself. And today you really wonder and you say, is is he sufficient? Is God enough? If there was nothing else or there was no one else Is God and God alone enough to satisfy me? And that really tells you where you're at. And the thing about it is, is that God is just not this uh, heavenly killjoy who's just with a stick, wanting just to completely continue to beat us and do everything he can to make our life miserable. That's not the God of the Bible. He's a God who loves us and wants to protect us from the evil and the power of sin. He wants to protect us from all the trouble that follows when we're outside of his will. I had to discipline my daughter uh, last night for something. Not, not these two here. Um, just want to make that clear. And I, in the, in the discipline she got uh, from my wife and I was tough. And it's going to cost her. She did something uh, that was deceitful, and i won 't go into it i 'm not over it yet, still a little bit uh, angry over it and, and saddened and disappointed, but it 's going to cost and i didn 't do it, and my wife didn 't do this because we 're just out to ruin her life for the next six months, which is the length of it, but it 's because we love her that 's what Hebrews talks about isn 't it that God disciplines those he loves like a father. And God wants to protect us from and he wants to protect us in this new year from the kind of stuff, the crud of sin and all its ugliness and all its deceitfulness. And he wants to protect us from that so that we don't stray from him and get ourselves into trouble. You know, there are some days I will confess there are some days, you know, when, when I go home from work or I just have my kind of simple life as it is that I'll say, you know what? It is kind of simple. Sometimes it doesn't have as much maybe pizzazz for a short term as others do. But I'll tell you what, it's not complicated. I, I don't have um, stay awake at night worrying about all the mess that I've done in my life because I'm just, just sending it up while I'm here on earth. There's a lot of people that have a lot of heartache. They have a lot of sorrow and misery, and they take it with them every day, and they're hunched back with it every day because they're in bondage. They don't know different. And if they could be freed from that, and they could just simply follow Jesus in all his simplicity and all his loveliness, they would take it if they could understand it or if they would break and say, I want him to be the one who drives my life. I'm tired of being in the front seat driving. I want to be a passenger now and let him do the driving. I know a lot of people would do that if they understood it. And that's our responsibility. God wants to protect us from all of that. Verse 14 tells us something that's interesting, that it also says that that he isn't interested in our bodies just to the point that when we die, he's not just interested in his body for the purpose that it has just now, but he's going to raise it up through his power. Philippians 3.21 says that he will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. And I confess, I really don't understand that. I haven't heard anybody come back and explain it to me yet. How that's all going to work. But I trust God it is. He's going to transform this lowly body, as Paul says in Philippians, and he's going to make it like his glorious body. God is interested in how you take care of your body here on this earth. And he goes on to explain that development in verses 15 to 17, as I read, that our bodies are members of Christ. Every believer... I trust you know this, but this is so important. Every believer is a member of the body of Christ. And so Paul asked in the verses that I read, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? You say, where is he coming from on that? Why Why would he make reference to a prostitute? And what's the connection there? Well, you have to understand a little bit about the background of Corinthians. The teaching about sexual immorality and prostitutes were relevant to the Corinthian believers because the temple of the love goddess Aphrodite was in Corinth. And this temple, if you can believe this, employed more than a thousand prostitutes and priestesses. And sex was a part of the worship ritual. This was a temptation. This was a problem for the Corinthian believers among all the other problems that they have about when you read this letter. And Paul says that they're to have no part, zero tolerance, no part with sexual immorality. Even though, even back in the day of Corinth, it was widely popular and accepted. And I ask you, what's really changed today, huh? What's really changed? Paul goes on to say, and as we read in the text, That those joined, or if you like, united to the Lord, should never allow any type of union that would conflict or harm the spiritual wedlock that they enjoyed and that we enjoy as his spiritual bride. You think about it. You're married today. Some of you I know are just recently married. I've been married, um, well, I I can't think of the years any longer, but I know I was married in 1981, so you do the math. When it gets to the big 25, I'll remember that, but... 1981, only girl I ever dated. I was the only guy she ever dated. And I'm thankfully, happily, and more in love with my wife today than I think I was even in March of 81. I um, couldn't even imagine life without her, but that's another message for another time. But, um, man, I, I, I want to do everything I can, even after all these years, to protect that marriage. I see relationships at work uh, where there's affairs taking place. And um, more than I care to know about. But I, I see marriages where they're, they're breaking up and there's a lot of deceit going on. And there, there's something, something has broken down, obviously, long before it went to that. Someone, the, the husband or the wife or both as a couple, haven't been protecting and guarding one another, themselves. You know what I mean? from someone else, from something else that would come in and cause damage and, or hardship to that relationship. You think about it as Christians today, you're in, we're in a new year, just a couple weeks into it. Are we protecting our, our relationship with, with Jesus Christ? Are we protecting it from the, the outside influences or individuals or things that can come in and can do, uh, wreak havoc in our fellowship with God? Now, the wonderful thing is, is, as believers, our relationship with him from the moment we trust him is secure. It's never going to dissolve. It's a relationship that will last forever and ever and ever in eternity. But what's the what's the fellowship like? What's the daily communion like with the Lord Jesus? That can be broken. That can be affected. The intimacy that we actually experience on a day to day basis can be affected and certainly is affected by what we choose to do or not do. I trust that we are protecting it at all costs because he means the world to us, doesn't he? Doesn't he mean the world to where you say, you know what? Uh, Is that song that him says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Paul says in verse 18, as we move on, he says to flee sexual immorality. Remember Joseph? Joseph was in Egypt serving in Pharaoh's house and Potiphar's wife wanted to have relations with him. She repeated those desires. And he said, and I love it. He said, how could I ever do such a wicked thing? He said it would be a great sin against God. He didn't muddy it. He didn't mess around with it and say it some way not to hurt her feelings or to confuse it. He said, how, ever, how could I ever do such a wicked thing? Well, that didn't stop her, if you know the story, did it? She grabbed him one day while he was working. What did he do? He ran. He fled. He wouldn't commit that sin against God. makes me think back when we were in Ireland a number of years ago when Cindy's mom and dad had come to see us and we were, uh, after they got on their Delta Airlines and we went to the part of the runway where we could see the plane take off and head back to the States and we parked our car in this grassy area and ran across this busy street and kind of watched the plane. It was like from here to the parking lot. It was pretty awesome. Maybe a little further than that, but anyway, close enough. And it was a busy stretch of road that we had parked and went across. And we left Katie, who I think at that time was probably about three, maybe four, in the car while we went. And it's a road where people are going like 50, 60 miles an hour easily. Just, you know. For some reason, I turned back and I looked and she'd gotten out of the car. I don't know what we We did something wrong, obviously, there. But she got out of the car and she was starting to cross to us. And it was almost kind of like in a running point from the car to the road. And there were cars coming. And I remember over the noise of the Delta 747 coming up going, Stop! And it was one time that she actually obeyed that I can remember. And she stopped as a car went just like that. You know, God in his mercy, what he's saying to us, isn't. He, a lot of times he's just telling us, he's saying, Stop! What you're doing, stop. And there's times in our lives where we're running right toward it. We're going right toward the danger. And God is saying, don't do that. Stop. Turn around and flee. Run the other way. Resolve in 2005 in those situations that you're going to stop, you're going to turn, and you're going to go back. You're going to go back in the sense that what's the right way. You're going to repent. You're You're going to turn around and have that renewed and exciting walk with God that is there for all of us to enjoy. Sin is so devastating that you and I need to just do that, don't we? We need to get away from it. We need to get away from the situations and opportunities that we have no business being in, and we need to get away from it. Think about, and I remember speaking on this uh, person, Samson. Don't be a Samson. You say, well, Who's Samson? The only thing I can think of is Samsonite, the, the luggage. Well, find Samson in the Old Testament and read on him. Samson messed around. He was with a woman he should have never been with. He was in a situation he should have never been in. And he continued to stay in it. And he just dabbled and he dabbled and he dabbled. Until finally he really fell and the place collapsed on him. And he died. It's a fascinating story. God has it there for a reason for us to see what not to do. And then just as we close... You've got to understand, and I've got to understand and remind myself this, you've got to understand who owns whom in this whole thing, this thing of life that we're in. People will say, I have the right to do with my body, and you, you probably hear it, I have a right to do with my body whatever I want. It's mine. It's my body. Well, the Bible teaches that when we became believers, this wonderful thing happened. Verse 19, it's worth reading again. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is in you. He now owns you. He owns me. We don't own our bodies any longer. In a sense, we never really did. We thought we did. We thought we were in charge of our life. We thought it only mattered what we wanted But he's now come into our lives. And if you live in a building, for example, today, that's owned by someone else, if you're having to rent. Generally, a good person who's in that situation tries not to violate the rules of the owner. It's a pretty lousy landlord. Or it's a pretty lousy tenant who just has total disregard for the wishes of the landlord. Bible says that you and I have been bought with a price. I remember when we were at the uh, mall and fashion mall, I think it is in Palo Alto a few months ago, all three of the four daughters came. Andrea was in San Diego. Sorry, Andrea, you missed out on that occasion. It was my idea. I said, let's go to the mall, which never can go wrong with daughters. (laughs) Sorry, maybe men too. I'm sure that's true, but daughters and a wife. And I said, let's go to the mall and have dinner after about 30 minutes i was ready to go home but anyway <laughs> we went i remember we were going into a couple of these really high priced stores i can't remember what they were named but i remember looking at some of the shoes and i you know you look at shoes you want to i'm looking at a pair of shoes for 30 40 dollars that keeps me happy there were shoes here that were like 6 700 800 dollars in this particular store we were in and i said no way and don 't even think about it. cost too much. At the cross, we see the price tag which Christ put on us, the value being that he was willing to pay the price, his own blood. he didn 't say, "Cost too much." he didn 't say that to the Father, No, not worth it. He paid the price. So Paul concludes, you were bought at a price. Therefore,
1: as a result,
0: honor God with your body. Point being, is he asking too much? You think about the sacrifices that you and I make. We think they're a big deal. They're nothing in comparison to what his son did for you and I. So the motivation today, brothers and sisters, is that God wants us to live like this. He wants us to honor God with our bodies because, oh, how he loves you and me. You know, too often we test our conduct by the question, is there any harm in it? But as Bill McDonald has written, that is not the question. What we must ask is this. Is there any glory or honor for God in it? Let's pray. Father, we just surrender ourselves afresh to you again this day, this new month, this new year, Lord. We tell you that we really are yours. We thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts that you were willing to pay the price in order to redeem us. Bring us into this wonderful relationship that we have with you today and we can have with you forever and ever and ever. God, I pray that we might just be those who will not fall away from you. Lord, we think of the hymn writer, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, we pray we might be those who, like sheep, we we won't stray from you, Lord. And and when we do, we pray we'll, you'll, we'll be... Uh, aware of you bringing us back quickly. We won't stay out far and long and avoid all the hassles and consequences and grief of disobeying you. Lord, I pray that you give us hearts that will be soft and tender and just wanting to do and whatever it is that will please you, Lord. I ask this for myself and for all here today at Santa Moon Valley. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not entered into this glorious relationship with you yet, that they might understand that you paid that price for them and shed your precious blood. Bless uh, bless us, Lord, with your presence now. And thank you again for how good you are to us, God. We do love you so much and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.